whenever I was in college and I was feeling really stressed out and I was overwhelmed at times and I didn't like what the situation was, I would always say, what would I tell my future son? Because if I can't tell him to get through adversity right now, if I can't tell him to keep pushing through, if I can't tell, if I don't live that, if I don't live through that, how am I gonna ever give him genuine advice one day to get through it on his own? So you gotta think, man, like sometimes you go through things and you don't know the reason at first, but it's not for right now, it's to help someone later, like your son or your daughter. Sometimes you're living through the toughest thing ever and you don't know why it's happening to you. But sometimes, guys, it's bigger than what you can even see right now. Sometimes your son gonna be looking you in the eye and say, Dad, how do I get through this? And then what are you gonna tell him when you quit before? What are you gonna tell him when you took shortcuts? That's the point, man. There's so much stuff that's bigger than you right now that you're going through for a bigger purpose than you can even imagine. The credit belongs to the man who is actually in the arena, whose face is marred by dust and sweat and blood. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Vitruvian Man podcast, a podcast centered around self-mastery. I'm your host, Zach Shankin. Today, I'm joined by Coach Lewis Kerala. If you don't recognize his name, you will certainly recognize his voice and his words. With 15 years of coaching experience and having previously served as the head strength and conditioning coach for three different NCAA Division I programs, Coach Lou joined Georgia Tech's football staff as head of football strength and conditioning in 2019. Prior to Tech, Coach Corrales spent the 2018 season as the head strength and conditioning coach at Buffalo, where he was named Football Scoop Strength's Strength Coach of the Year. In his lone season at Buffalo, Coach Lou helped turn around a team that went 8-16 and 16 over the previous two years into a squad that won the MAC East Division Championship and earned the program's first bowl berth since 2013. Coach Corrales was also a two-time all-conference running back during his playing days at Defiance College in Ohio, where he also earned academic all-conference accolades twice and graduated with a bachelor's degree in wellness and corporate fitness in 2008. He earned a master's degree in kinesiology from Mississippi State in 2010. In recent years, Coach Lou has taken the internet and motivational circles by storm with his powerful, articulate, and well-thought-out messages that he shares with his players every day and that we've been fortunate enough to hear when they're recorded and shared with us. Today, I hope to be able to share more of Coach Lou's wisdom, a bit about his story, and how he became the man he is today. Coach Lou, welcome to the show. Yeah, thanks for having me. This is great. Appreciate it. Yeah, no, I, uh, I'm glad we were finally able to link paths and make things connect. I appreciate you with being patient on my end, um, and certainly I was eager to have you on, so I was willing to wait as long as it took. I know things are hectic in season, so I wasn't sure it was gonna the stars were going to align necessarily um, at all, but... You taking the time out of your day means the world, and uh, I know everyone out there listening is like grateful for you taking the time. So yeah, well, you were persistent, and you—I mean—you shocked me with how you presented me. I mean, it was very, <laughs> very nice, and just yeah, thankful to be here, man. Appreciate of course, it. yeah, absolutely. So I guess I—I want to start with a little bit about your personal background before I go into some of your mindset stuff. Uh, take me back all the way to your upbringing back in Tarpon Springs, Florida. What was it like growing up for you, family environment? How did you kind of enter into sports when did you start playing football, stuff like that? So I grew up in Tarpon Springs, Florida, and just my neighborhood was full of kids that I was best friends with growing up. And we did everything together, football, baseball, soccer, basketball. It didn't matter what season it was, but that's what we were playing. Hockey sometimes in the street, <laughs> um, manhunt at night. Like sure. that's just what we did. But um, growing up, it was football. It ended up being football, and and that's that's what I was drawn to because 
I I love making plays. I love Barry Sanders. I love mm. watching the game. I loved everything about it. I was obsessed with the football pads when I was young. I I just wanted my own set of shoulder pads and I wanted a helmet and I would wait till my next door neighbor that was older to get home from practice and I would try on his pads every night yeah, just because yeah. I wasn't old enough to play yet. But yeah, uh, football, it, it created a identity for me growing up I was always the fast kid I was always the kid that could make people miss and and make plays but honestly it was uh it was also a thing I had to be careful with because I tried to be a football player off the field in mm-hmm. high school and got into a lot of trouble and things that I did I'm not proud of and you know it taught me a lot of lessons my parents were saints they always try to keep me out of trouble but a lot of times I wasn't hearing it and you know I was just a teenager that uh, probably could have been better, but sure. I was a starting quarterback in my team, and I do have regrets with the platform I had and all that I didn't do with it. Mm. Uh, yeah, I was a good player. Yeah, I was you know still fast, still did all that stuff, but I could have been better if I knew what I knew now, mm. and that's why I am very passionate to teach these kids, man, what they have, what they don't want to waste, and uh, all the blessings that are in their life. You grew up with uh, siblings? Yeah, uh, got a brother two two and a half years younger, and got a older uh, stepsister. So, do you think the leadership stuff was it all influenced? Like I myself am the oldest of two younger brothers as well, and I feel like whatever degree I've landed in leadership positions, um, I can look back on and say like I was almost like born into a leadership position. So, how did the sibling thing play into that? Um, you know, me and my brother always got along. And he, he kind of always looked up to me, so wanted to kind of follow what I was doing. Um, I always tried to include him growing up, hanging out with my friends and just being there for him. If anyone touched him, I, that would not be a good thing for them. <laughs> you know, that was, that was what I always said. And I got in a lot of fights, he got in none. You know, okay. and there's a reason for that. Yeah, yeah. Because, uh, but I, I just think uh, looking out for him taught me how to be protective. Looking out for him was my number one goal. So that's, that's what being a sibling was to me, it still is. If he needs anything, I'm always there for him, so. That's awesome. So in high school, did he play? You got to play on teams with him as well? It was just enough to not. Oh, so yeah, he was that, that except gap. like I was yeah. a senior, he was a sophomore. Uh, so yeah, we, ju- we just missed each other. Damn, yeah. yeah, I had a, so my, we were all kind of spaced out evenly. Um, so I got to play with the middle one, but never the youngest. And I was hoping because I took my time here at Tech and did five, I was hoping that Michael would come come in and play, but he decided not to play um, here at school. But I, I think that's a, a special thing in sports. And I'm sure, like, all the pickup stuff, you guys still got to go to battle. Oh, yeah. Basque, anything, yep. Backyard all the stuff, yep. for sure. So at what point in high school, you know, you, you win the starting job. I'm sure you were always on the more talented, athletic end of the spectrum, especially in the school environment, getting that kind of accolade. But when was it like, all right, I can go somewhere with this, or I do want to go somewhere with this? You know, it was tricky for me because we were an option – uh, team. So, mm-hmm. you know, on JV, I played quarterback. That sure. was sophomore year. I did really well. We went undefeated. It was awesome. Well, my junior year, I didn't play quarterback. I played outside linebacker and running back. So I didn't get recruited as a quarterback. But my senior year, I played quarterback again. So it was like I missed the whole recruiting cycle of mm-hmm. when kids get recruited. And, you know, I, I, I knew I could play college football. But did I care where? No. I just was interested if someone would want me. Mm. And it was a bunch of D2 and D3 schools that did, and it worked out great. Yeah. So transitioning into college, what was that experience like? I know, obviously, your academic All-American was at the position of running back. So did you immediately transition that position? 
was that like an, an ego swallowing thing? Like, did you get recruited at quarterback and they're like, hey, this kid can run the ball? Like, let's maybe do more of that. Yeah, I went to West Virginia Wesleyan at first, and um, that's Division two school. And mm-hmm. I was one of nine quarterbacks in our first camp. So mm-hmm. I'm like, all right, this isn't going to work. <laughs> I don't want to do this anymore. Right. So it was more of me saying, hey, can I play wide receiver this camp or mm-hmm. try out like at slot? Because we had running backs too. And they're like, yeah. So I started making stride and running our receiver. And I was probably going to play my freshman year. I was doing really well. And then my shin was not doing so well with shin splints. And then mm-hmm. eventually it cracked. So that was Ooh. the year over. And next year, same story, but moved to running back. And got hurt again. And that next year I was healthy as a horse and the coach lied to me and all this stuff happened and I wasn't playing at all. And then I transferred. Damn. So, yep. So make the transfer. And then was it kind of open season from there? Finally, like a supportive environment where like a coach said, like, I got a spot for you and I also see what you can do for us. Let's yeah. Make it happen. Like I was at that place, West Virginia Wesley. And I told myself I'd be quitting if I stay. And if I never believed in myself, I never would have left. Mm. And that's, some people say stick it out man you you can't quit no it's not to me if you believe in yourself and you're not getting your way after you've already put so much work in you got to go like it's time to move I completely agree and I think athletics teach us that lesson so I think athletes that transition to the workforce are more prepared for that but I see that a ton with like my friends that even transition to careers it's like this sunk cost thing like oh I don't want to give up on it I'll just stay with it even though I don't like it but like Ultimately, you, you need to serve your own path and like you owe it to you and pretty much no one else that you need to find where you fit best. And so, you know, it, it may be a grim example, but like at your job, for instance, it's like if you were to tragically pass a month later, they're recruiting your position. So like you don't owe them more than giving your best at that moment. But mm-hmm. if it's not serving you, it's time to pivot. So you finally found that in defiance, obviously had the success on the field. Um, what I imagine was a much better kind of college and as well as athletic experience there. At what point is it you're kind of transitioning through and you're like, okay, I don't necessarily want to pursue the athletic side, but I want to stay married to the sport thing. And I want to be a coach. Like when was the first idea in your head? Like I actually want to like lead people like I've been led before. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I was kind of up in the air of what I wanted to do. I was just you know, settling to say I'd go back home and be a PE coach and mm-hmm. teacher and high school coach. And, and then my girlfriend, who's now my wife, was like, why don't you try coaching in college? Like, do you ever think about that? I'm like, I don't know how I'd do that. But this guy that used to train me in high school said, hey, I can get you an internship in the summer at South Florida when you come home. And I'm like, oh, wow. Okay. He's like, send me a resume. I'm like, what's a resume? <laughs> you know? And uh, But I did get in. I did get a first try there. I was one of 13 interns that summer, and it was intimidating because I was nervous because I'm like, why would these guys want to listen to someone like me? I'm D3, D2 football. Sure. These guys are, you know, Division One. But that strength coach let me work out with the 9 a.m. group, and I worked out with them, and then I coached the next three groups every day that whole summer. And he, he looked at me at the end. He's like, hey, if you're not first team all conference, when you go back to your school, <laughs> I can't hire you. I'm like, all right, yes, sir. So uh, I got first team all conference when I went back. And But that's really what did it. I, I saw inside of a program, and I was blown away, and I, I really looked up to this coach that I was working for. Mm-hmm. And from there, it just took me. That next summer, I did another internship at Virginia, and then it just keeps going. That's awesome. And I think it's special along everyone's journey. It's some person 
or experience that comes along and shows you what it could be that next step, you know, like for instance, that guy, had he not been in your life or you guys not were able to reconnect, who knows where your path would have ended up, but showing you kind of that, that world, like opening that door and saying like, looking inside and say, here's what the opportunity is. I think everybody kind of can find that, uh, that person for them. And, And it's really cool that, that that was it for you. So fast forward, many coaching jobs later, building the career, building the success, you're at Buffalo, you're head of strength and conditioning, you're coming into a program that's historically and recent history struggling, and then you kind of turn it around very quickly and get the first program bull berth, you win the Mac East. For you, and and this is the year also that you get named strength coach of the year. So a lot of stuff happens. This is a pretty big moment, I would say, in your career. What do you think about that experience was either different from the previous and then also talk about, because to me, I'm fascinated about, you can even look at like currently Georgia Tech, like how do you transition or turn around a historical like struggle and like wh- what flipped the switch? It's a big loaded question. So yeah, a lot to no, there. It's, it was a big part of the journey. So, you know, everyone is going to read in my bio that I was national strength coach of the year. Sure. Not everyone's going to read that I was fired two out of three years before that. Mm. So I... I was an assistant at Michigan, Mississippi State, Georgia Tech. When I got my first head job at North Texas, it was 11 months, and then I got fired. I was the new guy on staff. I walked in there. Um, they were in year five of their program already, so I was just the new strength coach on staff. Tried my best, did everything I dreamed of. It was awesome, but we didn't win games, so you're out. Got blessed again to get a head job at Louisiana Lafayette. Um, two years later, fired, didn't win enough games. So at that point, I'm like, <laughs> is it me? Like, wh- like, I don't understand. Like, I'm really trying to do my best and give my heart and soul to these kids. And it just seemed like I was wasting my time. And um, it, it was frustrating. It was really, I was really hurt after that second one. Mm. But then I got an opportunity, um, connection I had at Buffalo. Got me in with the resume on the head coach's desk, and I did not want to move to Buffalo, you know, with my family. <laughs> I was just they, she wasn't excited, I wasn't really. Yeah. Um, but the head coach was awesome, and you know, it's like your heart telling you something that feels good there on the interview versus the weather, the move, the family, the whole situation that comes with it. I took a chance with my heart, and I went with that, and man, I'm so thankful I did because. Those kids, they no one sees. They went six and six, or yeah, they went six and six the year before I got there, mm. but didn't get picked for a bowl game. So they were mad. Yeah, they were very upset, and they had a loaded senior class that was hungry to go. Yeah, yeah. But I think the weight room was the missing piece they were missing, without even knowing it. And I came there very upset with my past, mm. and we all collided in a perfect energy aligned and those kids went nuts with it and I still to this day I'm in a group text with all of them and I just love those kids they were they were the one of the biggest blessings I've ever had you know because that year saved my career and it got me this job and um I never saw it coming yeah so. a big chip on the shoulder group you know I think everybody had something to prove there's something to be said about that do you think, I know you said that the weight room changed that season, to what degree do you think that was facilitated through the physical aspect? Like we need to actually button up our training program, get these guys to the fitness level they need to succeed. And then how much, I mean, cause you have experienced it, I've experienced it. When you train together as athletes, you're kind of forged in the fire um, and you get that closeness. 
So kind of where was the, where were the, was the missing link? Do you think it was mostly that cultural that you came in and said like, let's prove something here? Yeah. I think it was just the fire and the excitement. Like that's what I bring to the weight room. Like I train them hard. I do things that are out of the box. That's a whole nother story. But for the most part, I got to get them stronger. Just like every other strength coach in the country. I got to get them faster. I got to make them tough, but making them come together Mm -hmm. is a very intentional thing I try to do. Yeah. And they were missing that, you know, the offense, the defense, coming together, competing, smiling, having a good time, uh, being a family, wanting to win for each other. That's really all they needed. And that's where I came in. Look, I didn't change what I did at Louisiana Lafayette, Mm -hmm. North Texas. I stayed true to what I believed worked. And it just did that year. Yeah. There's a million analogies. There's like the iceberg analogy, like the stuff you don't see versus what you do see. And to think that, you know, you're chipping away with the same mentality process, even workouts, and then it finally gets to see and everyone, even myself, right? Even you can see it in the frame of the question, what changed, what changed? But Mm -hmm. really it's nothing changed. You just finally had been hammering at the wall so much that the wall collapsed. That's right. Um, 100%. So to touch on kind of the coaching stuff that you do that is unique, when preparing for this, I found a few things that I like stuck out to me as really, really powerful. For those that don't know, Coach Lou asks 25, and that number may have changed, but 25 specific and consistent questions to every single player on the roster to help him learn the player better. I want you to go into why do you do this? When did this start? Like, where did the idea kind of form? Was it someone who suggested it? And uh, maybe one or two of the questions that you feel are, are really, really important. So when I, before I got a head job, I was at Michigan. And I was working every day on my program to hopefully one day get a chance to lead a program. And no one did this. No one told me. Sure. But, I, but I said to myself, I'm like, you know, everyone can write a program. Everyone can, you know, make kids work hard, I guess. But the driving factor behind all of it is the relationship you have with them. So how am I going to tell the kids I'm going to make a difference in their life if I don't know what they've gone through in their life? So I I figured out just basic questions. I started out very basic with these questions I want to ask every kid I coach before I coach them. And I've done that at every head job I've ever had. And I think it's uh, the best thing I've ever done. You know, these questions are who's the best coach you ever had and why? Who's the worst coach you ever had and why? tell me about the tattoos on your body. You know, like, what do they mean to you? Um, just basics. Like when's your birthday? Who's your favorite athlete? Yeah. Uh, what's the family situation like at home? And then what's the biggest obstacle you've overcome? Mm. Like all this stuff, they just start opening up and you'd be surprised because you can ask the simplest question and get the deepest answer because kids never talk anymore. They, they text, they scroll, they like stuff. And when you say, hey, man, you doing okay? They're going to be like, yeah. And that's, your, that's it. It's mm-hmm. all you say. And if I'm a guy that just got there and just asked them 25 questions that they had to open up about, well, as a man, you're looking at that other guy like, man, this dude cares. Right. You know, this dude does care. And it's not going to happen on day one that they respect me, but over time they're going to see – it's consistent, genuine. It's consistently genuine. And that's just what I try to do. I'm not going to bark orders at these kids if I don't know them, mm. period. And if I know body language better, only helps me as a coach. If I know what's going on with his dad and mom and his girlfriend and his goals 
and his setbacks and all this stuff he's overcome, I got a great chance to help his life. I mean, that's powerful. It kind of gives me chills, like thinking back across my athletic experience, but like the mentors that come through, the difference between the good and the bad coaches, it never it never is the X's and O's, right? It's like the level that they care about you being there, like you feeling heard. And I think you touched on a super important point, which is just men in general, masculinity, breaking down those walls and letting another man feel heard is so important. I think I've been, one of the things with the program that I was alluding to that I'm working on, I've been shocked by is like when I'm reaching out, you know, cold reach outs online, trying to find the next like guys to be members of this program. The fact that anyone responds to a random message from another guy and opens up about their goals, their feelings, the things that I ask them about, it blows my mind. Cause to all per- peripheral, it's like, all right, what are you trying to sell me, man? Like get out of my way. But like seeing people open up, it shows how like desperate people are and they're craving mm-hmm. and men are like craving that community. So, I mean, I'm thankful for you to do that for these guys because it's going to make them better fathers, like, mm-hmm. right? Like stronger men that go out into the world that affect change in other men. So I think ultimately that's the benefit of all of this more than the football field, more than whatever. Another co- coaching tool that stuck out to me is the hunger board. Mm-hmm. I, want you, I want to hear a little bit about that. We were kind of talking about the two groups, the like, like starters, non-starter kind of thing. Yeah. Everywhere I've been, I've done a hunger board. You're either satisfied, hungry, or starving. And it's just based on effort. We don't care about if you're the starting quarterback or the walk-on long snapper. We just see your effort. We see your care. We see your want. We see your fight. We see your teammate. We see what you're about. How bad do you want it? And Every week, the strength staff will sit down in the office and we'll go down the roster alphabetically and say, all right, um, Johnny, what is he? Satisfied, hungry, or starving? What do you guys think? I mean, some guys say hungry, some guys say satisfied, some guys say starving, and we all have to ask why. Right. Why is he satisfied? Well, he missed, he missed breakfast, he missed a lift this week, he is missing class, like he doesn't come for extra. All right, put him in there. He's hungry. Why? Because he will do what's asked of him and no more. He's good. Like, he's average. He's not doing bad. All right, he's starving. Why? Dude, this kid can't – we can't get rid of him. Like, he (laughs) wants to be here every second, every Saturday, every time it's open, he's here. Every time we're training, he's getting the most out of his teammate. Every time we're working, he's he's getting the energy set in the room. Like, he is – improving so much because he's working so hard but also helping everyone around him he's starving you know and if that's unanimous the board comes out every monday they're in the locker room they see the three categories with their names somewhere in it and they take offense you know if they're not where they want to be they're like what did i do like what do they see that i'm not seeing and then we have the real talks so they got to come in and say coach i don't understand like why am i still hungry i thought i did a good i'm like look man you are doing a good job. You are. You're not doing a great job. Mm. You're not, you're not going to play winning football for us with good effort. You know, you've got to be amazing. You've got to set the tone. You've got to be an example that everyone wants to follow. You've got to not leave when everyone's leaving. So yeah, things get real when that board comes out. That's really cool. I, I love that, especially, I mean, obviously you're, it's in a room of, like hyper competitive guys that reached the collegiate D one level, but finding those little things to make people even more competitive, like it's like a free chip on the shoulder, right? You're just like, here, I'm going to donate this to you yeah. to turn you into a, a monster. Like I think about, uh, 
I'm sure you watched or at least saw clips from like the last dance, like the Michael Jordan thing, oh, yeah, a huge yeah. inspiration to all athletes. But just to hear about his mindset, like literally making up stories to get pissed. And I think of this as like a facilitated way almost where it's like, I am doing the tangibles, but, and, and I, I even think, and I, I can imagine in those rooms with the coaches, you're like, Hey, we see the ceiling for this kid. He's doing above and beyond, but like, let's see how much more we can get out of him. Like, yeah. like let's keep him in the hungry just to see how pissed we can get this kid. That's really cool. So when you take kids in, you have four or five years, God willing, with these kids, barring transfer, injury, whatever. What do you want to see? What's the biggest thing you want to see change-wise from a kid from freshman year to graduating from tech? Um, and that can be, I'm going to leave it broad like that. That can be anything from like his development as a man to his development as an athlete. Like we want to see his 40 time drop, his bench press go up, blah, blah, blah. Or we want to make sure that this kid is ready to be a father, be a professional, whatever. So when you hear the kid's goals, when you interview him, you kind of understand what he's going for. And then from there, I mean, yeah, we're going to do all our stuff we do with every kid. Um, and take their picture. We're going to you know, make them not flex at first and look sad against the white wall. <laughs> and then at day 350, we're going to take a, after a two-hour vicious pump sure. and grease them down and yeah, put yeah. the proper lighting on them. And, you know, that's their Christmas card. But um, we're going to test them. We're going to watch all their strength numbers increase. That's that's cool. But if that was it, I wouldn't know you because mm. I wouldn't do this job. Mm. You know, if that was really the end all, that wouldn't excite me to wake up at three in the morning to come work out. You know, it's, it's, I want these kids to walk in here a certain way with whatever amount of self drive that they have, whatever, whatever amount of discipline that they thought they had to not even recognize themselves with the habits they have by the time they leave. Mm. You know, I want their parents that don't see them for spurts of time to be like, man, you're, you're different now. Like, I don't know. Like, why are you waking up this early to go work out? Why? like I want kids to be so set up for life after this experience with me that they're unbreakable. They're ready for whatever adversity comes their way. They're ready for whatever setback because everyone talks about the success. Everyone wants the wins and the championships and all that. That's great. That's cool. If you don't have great habits, if you don't have great discipline, if you don't have great self drive, if you don't have great bounce back and resilience in your heart, you have no chance to do anything in life. And all these kids think after they have every tutor helping them, every uh, cafeteria lady serving their food, after everyone holding their hand through this experience, that life's just going to be doing that when they get out. That's where I come in. I let them know it's not real. Like they got to get ready for life because that's why we do all these hard workouts too. I, I challenge their soul. I'm not just <laughs> like trying to, to get them strong and big yeah, that's part of it, but I want to see them respond to something that they when they don't get their way. Yeah, that's football too. You're not going to get your way every game. You're not going to get your way most of the time in life. There's going to be people that doubt you your whole life. There's going to be people that say you ain't good enough, man. We're bringing in someone new. How are you going to deal with that? Mm. And I think that's what I want for every kid I coach. It's not going to happen. Not every kid's going to hear the messages that I try to give them, but a lot of them will. You know, a lot of them will always keep in touch with me. A lot of them will always ask for advice. And that's so much more valuable than their squat max. I love that. How, I mean, in, in many ways, I think we can look at coaching, leadership, all these types of roles as a way to step in. And I'm sure you see it, especially with kind of like the 
just the, the, the guys that come to these kind of levels, they come from all kinds of backgrounds, which you've alluded to, right? Like parentless families, single parent homes, all this kind of stuff. So you get to step in and essentially be an auxiliary father figure, which I know as, a, as an actual father informs your decision. I'm curious how, since becoming a dad, do you feel like your coaching style has changed? Maybe even perspective on what coaching is? Because, you know, like I aspire to be a father one day. I look at every single day and every interaction I have as preparing me to be the father that my kids deserve. And so when you are with your wife and you hear the scream and you're a dad now, it's like, whoa, like the football, what, what's different, right? I want to hear about that. Yeah, that's a great quote. When I had my son, everything in my life changed. Like I was at Michigan, I was an assistant, I was working, but... When I saw him, I'm like, man, there are a hundred players that I coach every day. And then someone out there feels about them like I feel about this little guy. Mm. And that hit me because I'm like, you better be careful with these kids. You better take it seriously. You better, you better treat them with the utmost respect and teach them the lessons that they need to know. Yeah, you got to be tough on them. But you don't got to be unfair to them, you know. And I think that's where people get caught up. They think hard coaching is mean coaching. It's not true. If if I'm tough on you, and I know you, you're not going to take offense, right? But my son, my daughters now, like I always have to ask myself, what gives me the right to coach kids? And if I hate those answers, I got to change. Mm. And that's that's the truth because no one. Like, my high school coach felt like that to me. My college coach felt like that to me at Defiance. But I've had coaches that never asked themselves that question. And you could tell. Oh, yeah. Because, first of all, they couldn't do what you're doing, and then they're getting mad at you that you can't do it. Can't stand that. So that's why I do the kids' workouts every day before they do them, still. And that's just who I've become. Mm -hmm. I've become this standard. I've become an example for my kids, the kids I coach. Because if I'm not, I don't want to coach because I don't deserve to. And that's, I think, the, the point of this position I'm in is to be the example on a daily basis, whether that's being a dad, whether that's being a coach, whether that's being a leader, whether that's being a boss, whether that's being a friend, whether that's giving advice on life. Just I have a, I have a responsibility, and I'm not going to waste it because I'm a parent. And you can't waste that. So Over the years, you've had these different mentors, whether it's your actual father, coaches along the way, bosses, whatever. Where now and who now it, are you allowing to pour back into you? Because I find myself even where it's like people are always like, you do enough for yourself and people start asking you for advice. Like you figured it out, right? But mm -hmm. like, you know, I know, like we haven't figured it out. There's always development and like you feel weak, you feel tired. That alarm at 4, 4 a.m. goes off and you're like, today again are you kidding me so who are you allowing to pour back into you where do you find your external help motivation leadership mentorship from now so my dad texts me every day at 6 a.m um there's a lot of stuff that he's gotten me through with my mom and they're they're just so they're always there for me and i i don't know, realize i guess how much that actually meant growing up until i'm in a position like this and I'm like, wow, like I'm a parent of three kids. So all I think about is how they were to me. Mm. All I think about is the, my dad's example of going to a job that he didn't really like, but he just did it because it supported us. And then he came home and was still happy and played with us all night. Mm. 
So like I realized things later yeah, and those helped me out. But in my career, man, I've had, I've had multiple great examples to follow. Like brilliant, hardworking, gritty, tough, uh, set the blueprint for my mindset of this whole career. So I owe everything back to them and I always thank them and I always call them and they, they always know how I would not be here without them. Mm. Like I make sure they know that at all times. But after a while, you read books, yep. you listen to podcasts and you take notes and you challenge yourself and you go out on that field in the pitch dark and you run a lot and then you lift really hard and by yourself and think and right and that's i think that's what uh what it is so where what are some of those um i'm just like i'm a voracious reader i love to consume podcasts and stuff i've found myself creating my own which is crazy to think where are some of those sources that you draw from from the more peripheral right like people you may not know some of those books that you've gone to stuff that you feel is transformational i listen to inky johnson a lot mm. who has become a good friend i was gonna say kind of a surreal moment i'm sure yeah to go from listening to it was amazing. It was truly amazing. We did it on the other side of the stadium <laughs> <laughs> on his podcast. But, um, I mean, David Goggins, like when, like I was with him at Michigan for a while, like he, before anyone knew him on social media, yeah, he, um, he was at our bowl game. He was like our mental toughness consultant sure. that nobody yeah. knew about. And man, just talking to him and listening to him and picking his brain. And I'm just like, man, this is, uh, I mean, I, if there was a mountain anywhere at any point, I would want to go sprint up after talking to him. Yeah. So, yeah, of course, him. And then uh, I listen to Ed Milet, mm. and, you know, his podcast yeah. a lot. And Eric Thomas, of course. There's just so many guys that you can pick and choose. But sure. books, you know, there's a book called The Twin Thieves about being a team. Man, I love that book. There's an author, Lucas Jaden and Steve Jones, that I highly recommend. Those are two new ones on my list. Um Tim Grover, unreal, like unbelievable. Uh, but I could keep going. There's a lot. I mean, I, I'll have to get your reading list after this, like one-to-one -one just because I, I don't know. I love this stuff. But thank you for sharing with the audience there. The little You have your new books to order, guys. And Andy Frisella, I'd be remiss uh, yeah. to not say him all the time. <laughs> for sure. Yeah, yeah I, I listened to your guys' podcast. That was another surreal moment because I think I did the 75 hard challenge this past spring uh, just to kind of push myself to it with some friends so really insane that I was I like reached out to you and then like a week later you're on his podcast I'm like what is what is going on <laughs> anyway so I guess I have a few rapid fire questions before I get into some closers so I'm curious what the most gifted athlete who the most gifted athlete you ever coached was and then who you think the most driven athlete you ever coached was. I think I might know the answer to the second, but and former athletes, don't take offense if he if it slips the mind most right now. I'm, I'm putting him on the spot. Athlete I've ever coached. I mean, Denard Robinson was up there with the quarterback at Michigan. I mean, the way he could run at quarterback, I was just like amazed and it was just that position of awe for me yeah. when he would break those long runs all the time and uh I can't overthink it too much i'm just gonna go with him and then the most driven jeez that's not fair there's I know way it's too not, many i know i know <laughs> well, i'm gonna make you give me a name though i'll go superficial when i was a young uh coach um i saw this young freshman be the leader on the hunger board as a freshman which is very hard to do his name was dak prescott and um Sheesh. just just a beast man like proved to everyone like 
I'm here to work, and whenever I do get my chance, I'm going to be ready. And he sure did. No kidding, yeah. I mean, I'm a, I'm a Cowboys fan myself, so shout-out Dak. Crazy to eat. What was he – what was his transformation like? Like freshman – I mean, if he's coming in, leading the hunger board, a captain potential as a freshman to senior year going to the NFL – I mean, he was in the developmental group his freshman year. He wasn't. He was redshirting, and wow. Um, you know, we would be doing wild workouts all in season, and he was he was awesome the whole time. Great attitude, great effort, great teammate. And then once he grew, I, I wasn't there for the growing part because sure. I moved on. But yeah, I mean, he was um, one of the best leaders you can ever ask for. He did not accept anyone going half-assed, and mm. just a great person too. Yeah. I know you train with the same workouts you program for your athletes, which by the way, incredible, but I'm curious, what does your personal diet look like on the day to day? Is it just anything the wife's cooking or do you like, are you pretty strict with that for performance outcomes and stuff? It's anything the wife's cooking. I love that. Yep. And it's anything the cafeteria has Okay, and it's workout and then drink a protein shake after. <laughs> you know? Blue collar. Yeah. I fucking love that. <laughs> cool. This is one that I was curious your son's name is Marshall. Is that in any way inspired by the football movie We Are Marshall? No. Okay. No, we were uh, – it was my wife's maiden name. Okay. Yeah, okay, cool. so we were all about that from the start. Very cool. Yeah. And then this is might be a difficult one. Uh, what is the hardest loss you've experienced as both a coach and then back in your playing days as an athlete? The hardest loss still to this day is the MAC championship at Buffalo. We had the most magical season I've ever felt ever. We were up – we were up 29 to 10 in the third quarter and we lost 30 to 29. Mm. And um, it was like in the Detroit Lions stadium, which is my favorite team in the world. Like I was wearing my Barry Sanders socks underneath my pants, just ready to go. Sure. We were fired up in the third going crazy. And then momentum shifted and fuel position changed a lot and they kept coming back. And it was like quicksand. It was a nightmare. Um, wish I could get that one back as a player. I'd have to say losing to my rival my senior year, like it's our first game of the year. They switched it up, so it was the first game of the year. Should have never lost to them, and that, that bothered me a lot. It's to set the tone like a, in a bad way. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Did you compete for state championships at your high school, or was that like not the caliber of program in the area? Won the caliber. They never made it past the second round before I played there, and we got to the second round that year, which was tied for the best ever in school sure. history. But um, – but yeah, it wasn't like that. Yeah. I mean, a lot of that stuff you just can't control with like yeah. I mean, super magnet schools and stuff like that. All right. Well, I have some closing questions that I like to close with all my guests. These are more broad. So answer to the depth or non-depth that you prefer. In your eyes, what defines being a man? Doing what you say you're going to do. Um, mm. It doesn't matter how you feel. Like you have to get a job done. And you could make all the excuses in the world, but that's not what a man does. Like a man doesn't sit down when it's time to stand up. And there's too many people out there that claim their manhood, but they don't have all these values in their life first. Like, a, I mean, you can't talk to me like that. I'm a grown man. Are you a grown man? Like, are you really a grown man? Because you're late to this. You treat women poorly. You aren't a good example for your kids. You complain about everything that goes wrong. You don't show resilience. You All this stuff, I could keep going with all this list, but People claim their manhood way too much without even knowing what a real man should be. And, like, look, I'm not saying I'm perfect. I'm saying 
I try to live my life in a way that my kids will be proud of, my wife will be proud of. Uh, I'm true to myself. I never go out of my discipline. And that's, that's a man. And, and if, if more people would approach that, they would never have to say, man, I'm a grown man. All right, guarantee all those values in your life are not in place. Yeah. I think it was, I was talking to a friend recently, and um, he said there's a lot of really old kids walking around. Like, just a bunch of fucking adult men that never really asked themselves or stared long enough in the mirror to ask, like, the hard questions, so. Yeah, just because you're an adult male doesn't mean you're a man. I love that answer. If you could go back to a younger version of yourself, barring the butterfly effect and all the crazy ripples, um, assuming you get to the same place, what lesson, what would you tell him, what's one thing that you would want to give to younger you, an insecure you, maybe that high school version of you that's not waking up? Just be easier on your parents. Like, don't, don't, you don't need to stress them out like that. Come home on time, you know, stop, stop drinking, stop smoking on the weekend, stop doing all this stuff that has zero impact on your future, actually a negative effect on your future. Be a better person, you know, like I was always a good kid. I always had a good heart, Mm -hmm. but the stuff that I can't get back like fighting and stuff that was almost intentional. I just would rather not have on my conscious list, mm-hmm. you know, and my parents didn't need that because they were so good to me and caused them a lot of, a lot of pain growing up. <laughs> With the fighting stuff, I mean, having supportive parents, siblings, the success in school, what do you think was pushing you to do those like little moments of like lashing out? Football player off the field, aggression, uh, people you hang out with the stuff you do with people that you hang out with. Yeah. You know, and you got tough guy friends, you're also a tough guy. Sure. And if tough guys are staring at you, you don't like that. Mm. And that's that's the end of the story. I mean, that's <laughs> for a couple of years in high school, that's what it was, you know, and just not not cool. Like if my son ever did that, I'd be so embarrassed. I'd be so disgusted. I'd be ashamed. Mm. What did I do wrong as a dad? Yeah. That's how I feel, and I hate that they had to feel that about me at a certain point in life. Now, I've paid him back mm. with taking that aggression out and the positivity sure. and success and uh, not giving up and going for my goal and getting it and uh, thanking them and making sure they feel the love. And But for moments, it wasn't pretty. For sure. I mean, it's part of the story. You can't have light without dark. And I think it's the it's the it brings the color to the image, right? Like yep. it, it's the stuff that makes your story impactful. It's how you can talk to these kids who are being a jackass when they shouldn't, and say like, "Hey, man, I was you. Yep. Don't think of me as somebody, some saint. I'm coming to you right where you are now and saying, mm-hmm. I'm screaming on this door like, because I I could I couldn't stop myself. Let me help you stop you. So I think it's why you can have the impact you have. So I, I as much as like. We address the ripple effect. I think that it is important for you to have gone through that because it makes your message that much more powerful. And then the last one I got is, what is one quote that's always either stuck by you or you try to live by? I know now you've reached the place where you're putting these quotes out and people are putting your name at the bottom of a quote on their wall, which is incredible. And as a quote connoisseur myself, I hope that maybe one day I can be that guy for other people. But outside of the, the wisdom that you share, What's one that you go back to? Maybe you have on your on your wall, phone wallpaper, some truth that you live by. I always like you wouldn't have been born if you weren't ready. 
And I think that's what's always, I made that up when I was in Michigan because my hobby is making up quotes or making up yeah. messages. And, you know, there hasn't been one day that I've coached as a head strength coach that I haven't given the team a message of the day. Run, lift, doesn't matter. It's always built into the lift. And that one to me means why are you thinking so hard about going for something big? Why are you trying to say that you can't do it? You get one life, man, and you wouldn't have been born if you weren't ready. So someone out there is saying, you're ready. Like, that's why you're here. So go for it, man. Like, what do you – this is it. This is all we have. Like, you got a podcast, man. I'm sure, like, like you said, it's not instantaneous success, but, man, you get one life. Do it. Like, why not? You know, I, I started an Instagram a year and a half ago. I didn't want to, but why not? <laughs> right. Because I wouldn't have been born if I wasn't ready for this stuff. All, like, I doubted my career at first. I went for it, though. I doubted transferring a little bit. I went for it, though. I doubted, you know, at telling this girl I liked her. She's my wife now. Mm. Like, I, there's so many things that you don't have to do. You can turn your back to You'll never know what you could have been. But I guarantee you wouldn't have been born if you weren't ready. It's powerful stuff. Got me ready to run through a wall. I appreciate you with the words of wisdom and, and just I th can't thank you enough for the opportunity for myself. I always kind of try to frame this stuff. I, I'm nervous coming in. Is there going to be a technical difficulty? And I always say that if the camera wasn't there, if the mic wasn't there, it's still an unbelievable experience because we got to share this conversation as men, you know, whatever you were able to impart on me, I hope that this was an enriching experience for yourself as well. I will give you the opportunity to share anything that you want to, to whatever captive audience we have. I imagine a lot of people coming to this may be coming from your already audience, the small audience I've curated. Anything you want to share with them? Where can they follow you? Anything like that? Yeah, they can follow me at Lewis Corella on Twitter or at Lou Corella on Instagram. That's, that's the two things I do. I try to put something out in my story daily that can help people. I, I guess what I would share is this. There, there's going to be so many times where people are going to say things about you, especially if you want to go try to achieve something big. Like I always say, if, um, if you're going after something big, bring an umbrella because a lot of people are going to try to water down what you're capable of. And that's the truth. I mean, there's, there are so many people that – could say whatever they want about me. Oh, he's just posting that. Why is he sharing that? He's with his team. He don't need it. Like, I don't. I don't have to share this. I don't have to share anything with anyone. You're right. But that's not part of my purpose. Mm. You know, and I figured that out with COVID and all that stuff that I shouldn't just keep this in the weight room. I should share some stuff to some people to help some people out there. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of people that have reached out to me that have told me I've change their life just because of the daily stuff I post. Like, you think I care about a hater? You think I, you think I care about someone that's saying like, oh, that dude, man, he's a... He wants the attention. Right, yeah. right, right. Okay. <laughs> that's fine, man. You don't live my life. You don't got to go to sleep with my purpose. So I think if you're struggling to feel like you shouldn't do something or you don't know what they're going to think of you, just stop. Stop doing that because... Time's flying, and the more you don't do, the more you won't be. Mm. So just remember that. Wow. I can't think of a better way to end it. 
Thank you for everyone that's made it this far, although I'm sure right off rip, it would be hard to put this one down. Thank you again for taking the time. For anyone that is listening that is new to this, thank you. I'm excited that you found this podcast, whether it's just this one or you take a look at the other stuff that I'm trying to put out. I appreciate you. I appreciate you listening. I hope you found value. If you want to follow myself, it's at Z-D-S-T-H-E-N-K-E-N on Instagram. If you want to follow the program and the podcast specifically, it's at Vitruvian Gentleman. I try to put out the best messages I can, and I'm just another guy trying to figure out how he can get the most out of life. And I want to share that journey with other people. So follow if you, that intrigues you. I thank you for your time. Thank you, coach. Thank you for spending your time. It's your most valuable resource, Memento Mori. And I'll catch you on the next episode of the Vitruvian Man podcast. And if he fails, at least fails while daring great, so that his place shall never be with those cold and timid souls who know neither victory nor defeat.